0: Well, thank you all for being here. Um, as I was saying, one of my practices has been to do small acts of kindness. And it sounds small. It certainly did for me when I started. Um, but it's become a lifelong sort of practice. Um, one of my friends, I was having coffee with him and he told me this really beautiful story of the Buddha that just uh, really resonated with me. It was a story of uh, Buddha Kasapa. Um, long back, he had a disciple. He had a very... Uh, it was whenever these philanthropists, people who wanted to give, would go to Buddha, uh, he would say, well, you should go talk to my chief philanthropy officer. You know? <laughs> and his chief philanthropy officer was this fellow who was very poor, who didn't have anything, he was a potter. And people would go, and they would learn, and they would be like, wow, this guy, how does he give? You know, it was almost baffling. And at one point, even the monks in the monastery, uh, there was like heavy rains, and the Buddha needed some straw in the monastery, to prevent the rain from coming down and affecting all the monks. And so they go up to the Buddha and says, where should we get the straw? It's like an emergency. And so he says, well, go to that guy's place, Chatikara. So they go to his place. This is like the emergency situation, you know, and so he's like, go into that guy's place. They come back and they said, he lives in a very small hut. He doesn't have any straw. Only straw we saw was on the roof. And he says, "Well, take it from the roof." So they go and they take it from the roof. As they're taking it, he notices that the parents of Chatikara are right in there, in in the small hut. They're blind, and so they said, "Who's there?" And so these monks say, "Well, I, we are the, we are the monks of the Buddha, and the Buddha has sent us here." And they knew from their son how their son really admired the Buddha, and so he said. Like, Oh, it was so nice. He says, we, can we take the straw from your roof? And they said, yes, please, go ahead. And he took the straw from the roof. So now there's this hole in the roof. Chatikara comes on. The monks go and they use the straw. Chatikara comes. And he looks, first thing he sees is there's a hole in the roof. You know, it's like, what's going on? And his parents says, well, some of Buddha's monks came and they asked for this straw and we said yes. And Chatikara got so happy. I mean, this guy was a stream enterer. He was a non-returner. He had insight into the way of things. He knew that the Buddha had many options for a little straw. I don't think the Buddha was struggling for straw. But the Buddha says, go to my chief philanthropy officer, right? What was it about his feeling? Because what he experienced wasn't that he gave the straw, he actually had this incredible, as soon as he found out that the Buddha had sent people to take the straw from his roof, he had this incredible feeling that as, as the story says, it was like three weeks of bliss that he experienced. And of course, these I, I, I love these descriptions because then it was monsoon and so the rain would fall, but it would never fall between that, in that hole, you know. <laughs> so whether you believe that or not, but nonetheless makes for a good story. But what was it about the quality of chhatikara that even someone like the Buddha is attracted to? And how can we... You know, how can we nuance even the smallest acts that we do so we can head to in that direction? So I want to share, perhaps, I was, I was talking to a bunch of kids and I was telling them about these four stages because I was like, you know, when you go to college, you have freshman year, sophomore year, junior year, and senior year. So every year you learn a few insights. And so I said, well, let me tell you about four insights of generosity that I've learned and I'm, I'm probably still a freshman, but you know, I think uh, I, you, you, get, you get a flavor of what you have to learn. So in the freshman year, so I want to tell you these four stories of these four years and four insights. In the freshman year, it, we look at giving, we look at generosity, we look at this inside-out meta that flows out as an opportunity. And I think that's great. But one of the things that certainly happened to me in my journey is that I would have all these missed opportunities. It's like, yeah, I want to give, I want to practice, I want to become a better human being, I want to transform myself. Because even the smallest act of kindness, a smallest act of other-centeredness creates a calmness in the mind. And in that calmness, we fall into a deep interconnection. And in that deep interconnection, everything else flows much more easily. So I was like, yeah, this kindness thing, these small acts of kindness good idea, you know, but I would do it, and then I would think of these acts, and I would have these missed opportunities. For example, it was my wife's birthday. This is two years ago. It was my wife's birthday, and she loves flowers. We don't usually make a big deal out of birthdays, but she loves flowers, and she also loves for me to go running and work out, so I don't like get chubby cheeks, you know, (laughs) and so I was like, okay, you know what, I'm going to go get her flowers, And I'm going to run to the store, and I'm going to run back. It's a good idea, you know, feed two birds with the same seed. So I had my whole thing, and then I was like at the store, and I said, you know, let me just go over the top. I'm just going to get her two bouquets. So I got her two bouquets, and I'm running back, right? So imagine this guy (laughs) running, like huffing and puffing. You know, I'm not that much, with two bouquets, right? It's like, it's it's. It's it's comedic in many ways. And so this young girl, high school girl, this happened I live nearby, and so this young girl um, looks at this. She's in high school, an adorable young woman. And she just sees this ha ha, ha ha with like two bouquets. It's just like she doesn't know how to make sense of it. But she looks at me straight in the eye and she's like, Oh, for me, you shouldn't have. <laughs> and it was, and I was like, oh, I, I, I cracked up, I laughed, but I was like so concerned with my own breathing and my own equilibrium that I was like, yeah, yeah, okay, that was sweet. And I'm like, I got to go there. And I realized it would have been the perfect thing, right? If I would have said, actually, it is for you. Here's take one. I had two, right? It just would have... And I, my wife loves this kind of stuff. So she, yeah, that would have been the best gift to her. You know, it's like, I gave one of yours to someone else, you know, It's like... So, <laughs> So I would get brownie points there and I've got that one other one. You know, it's like I would win, but missed opportunity. <laughs> but why did I miss that opportunity? Right? Because it, it was just literally like 60 seconds after. I was like, oh, of course, I would do that. It comes very naturally. You know, For, for me, it's not like a... But in that moment... I was so obsessed with how I was feeling. I was out of breath, I, was, I had an agenda, I was you know, going there, and I had to do all this stuff. And in that future orientation, in that like, wanting to be out of my current state, I missed that chance. And this would happen. I think this is the thing. It's a, it's a great sign that you care to make it happen. Like Even a minute later, you're like, oh yes, I should have done that. that I think that's a great sign of the freshman year. But it, it, would, it But it's very important to see that. Right? At one time, I was walking, and I saw. I saw. I, I was uh, going to a meeting at UC Berkeley, and I saw this was meeting a professor. And so I was thinking, okay, I should say all these things. And we had all, you know, and I was like, okay, we have this much time doing all the mathematics. And on the way, I saw this guy lying on a lawn just blissed out. He was a homeless guy, just completely like, oh man, kumbaya, life is good, I'm taking in the sun, you know, and here I am, like going to a meeting, thinking about what's going to happen, and what's, you know, and then I come back, and I'm going to do all this stuff, and here's this guy, completely blissed out, and the thing that flashed in my mind was a story of Wavy Gravy. Wavy, some of you know him, he's a 60s icon, so Wavy had told me the story, like back in the days, he was a poet, and at the end of these poetry readings in San Francisco, they would pass a hat around and they would put, like, everybody would leave some money in there. But Wavy was a very generous guy. He is a very generous guy. And so, what he would do with all this, he would say, This is great. I receive other people's generosity, but I'm going to pay it forward. So, he would go at night. He comes out of these poetry readings, and it's probably like 1 a.m., and he sees these guys kind of like that blissed-out homeless man that I was looking at, he sees these guys sleeping, and in, in suffering, he would take the money, stuff it in their pockets, and leave. They would never even know. So they wake up next morning looking for that Kleenex, and whoa, what's going on? And just to know that he had made somebody's day like that was enough for Wavy. And again, I saw this guy, and I was like, oh, I should do that. Right, take out whatever I have in my wallet, just stuff it in his pocket. And then I'm thinking, no, 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 I'm late, I've got to go to this meeting. And I'm thinking, oh, that's a cute idea, but like, I'm already like 18 steps ahead of that. And then I'm thinking, no, should I, should I, no, should I, no. I didn't do it. You know, And I think this is very uh, emblematic of our freshman year. We think of these ideas and we don't do it. And we don't do it because of this internal noise that's going on in us. It's not like, oh, I see this effortless moment. Forget about you know what the other person's thinking. And then there are some moments, of course, where you do it. You know, I met a I met an incredible human being, Mark Dubois, who has saved thousands and thousands of miles of rivers. He was an, he's a great fellow. I could tell you his story. It would move you to tears. I mean, it moved me to tears uh, the way he found his purpose, and. First time I'm meeting him I don't know too much about him but I said oh this guy's a good guy and at the end of the meeting I said I want to give him something And I was like what do I have you know and and this is like a meeting he wanted to meet with me and so I was like you know in a way I wasn't even sure like it, it's kind of awkward to give sometimes you know and I wasn't even sure if it was the right thing but my heart said I got to give is I like, just take out your wallet whatever you have so I opened up my wallet, I took out whatever I had. I didn't even look at what the amount was in there. I crumpled it up, and I said, "Mark, this is for you. I know it's a little weird, but <laughs> <laughs> and I mean I can't really explain like why I'm doing it. But I just my my heart is singing this song. I feel like making an offering. I can, will you accept it?" And he has this big, he's like a six foot six guy, you know, his big palms. And he, he took it. Not only did he take it, he started crying. And it was very powerful. So there are some moments where you see that and you say, look what you think of yourself, how it's going to look, how the other person's going to perceive it, what state you're in, what agendas you have that particular moment. Just drop it. Just be there and let it flow organically, naturally. And I think that gives us strength. So for me, as I started doing that and getting those more hits than misses, I would say, okay, all right, keep going. And then it comes the second year. And in the sophomore year, the big insight is that when you give, you're actually receiving. It is impossible to give without receiving. But what you get comes in a different form than what you have given. But one thing happens inevitably, which is that giving connects you. It's impossible. If I give you something, we're connected. It's impossible for you, if you receive that gift, it's impossible for us to not be connected. This is just the principle of nature. So you start seeing the world in a very different lens when you see the possibility of this connection. So one of my friends came to visit. This is also, I guess I'm in Berkeley, so I'm thinking all these Berkeley stories. Uh, But this is true universally. But this guy comes. He's a very affluent person. He's one of these billionaires, one of the richest people in the country. And I hadn't met him personally, and he wanted to connect, and so I said, sure, we'll go to lunch, right? We go to dinner. So we go to dinner, and at one point he says, he's a very philanthropic, very nice guy, you know." but he says, well, you know, I got this giving thing down. I can give. And he does. He gives a lot. But what I don't know how to do is receive. So he says, Nippon, what, what do you got, man? What are your tips for receiving? I said, I don't know, man. I'm still learning myself. And, but what I said to him was that You actually have to give more but you have to give in a deeper way you have to give with a deeper awareness so you see how you're receiving and we had this beautiful dialogue on giving and receiving then it's time for the check Mm -hmm. we had a meal And one of my things, that I've always had this, is like, if we're going out, you know, it's like, I always love to treat everybody. You know, it's like one of my simple ways of, of giving. It just makes me feel good and connected. And I feel honored that I would even have a chance to treat the other person. And so I was like, oh, I got it, man. I don't care how much more I mean, it's like my balance has a lot of zeros. His just has a one in front of it, you know. So <laughs> it's, it was just, it's like it doesn't matter, though. I wanted to treat you because you're a human being, you know. And so I was like, we're fighting. He's like, no, no, there's no way, you know. And I was like, okay. And so then he said, but you told me to practice giving more, so let me practice giving more. And I said, okay, I'll tell you what. I'll pay for this, but you pay forward for someone else. So he was like, okay. All right, and so he says, uh, we, got, we, we talked about it, and we talked, how, how many of you guys know about smile cards? Awesome, awesome, I have, I, I took one, there's a bunch in the back. So a smile card says, you've just been tagged, experiments in anonymous kindness is the name of the game, and now you're it. So I do something kind for you, you can't pay me back because it's anonymous, but you can pay it forward, All right? Don't let the buck stop with you. We've all been recipients of incredible kindness. If it wasn't for nine months of our mother's kindness, you know, we couldn't, you know, where would we be? I mean, in fact, you can even go quote the Buddha on that. Put your mom on your left shoulder, dad on the right shoulder, and fulfill every single one of their desires their whole life since you're born, you would still be indebted to your parents. So... Uh, we we have received a lot, so how can we not let the buck stop with us? How do we keep paying it forward? So this is a small little game. You, maybe you pay toll for the person behind you. So this guy knew about the cards, and so he's like, okay, all right, I'm gonna do it, you know. And he gets ex- he's like, but it's one thing to hear it from somebody else. It's another that when you have to explain it. So the waitress comes over, and her name's Mandy, and he's like, okay, well, Mandy, uh, I'd like to pay forward for somebody else's table. And Mandy's like, what? <laughs> like, you want to pay for somebody else's tab? It's like, yeah. He's like, why? He says, <laughs> just, just to make them smile. And he's like, okay, well, whatever you say, you know? And, then, and he's like, and he looks around, and he's like, who's. So now he's looking at all these people, and he's saying, whose day am I going to make? Right? And so he has some algorithms that's going on in his mind, and, and he's like, that table. I'm going to tag that table with, I'm going to pay their tab. And so he tells Mandy, that table, go to that table and tell them someone anonymous has paid for their meal just to make their day, and they can pay it forward for someone else in some other way, whatever they'd like. And there's a smile card. So Mandy's like, okay. You know, Mandy's a little like, okay, you know, I don't know what's going on. And she goes, and this is like anonymous, right? So you're not supposed to look. I'm equanimous. I'm not going (laughs) to... He is like, okay, I'm not going to look over there, but he can't help looking at the reflection in the mirror. (laughs) And I'm thinking, I'm hardcore. I'm not going to look either. You know, I'm not even going to look there, but I'm looking at this guy's face, right? (laughs) And you can see Mandy goes, and she later comes back, and she's like, oh, my gosh, she was so excited. She's like, I told them, and they were like, what? Why why do they, why is it? They're like, we're not from here. Do you guys do this all the time? Because we want to move here, you know? (laughs) And Mandy comes back with this incredible energy and this guy who was looking at that interaction in that mirror and I was looking at him, you could just see his smile widening and widening and widening. And the question I asked him was, were you giving or were you receiving? It's so clear that he received something. Because he was smiling, man. He was beaming. Not only him, Mandy received something too. And at one level, it's like, yeah, I gave the material capital to that person. But it was never about the straw in the first place. Right? The Buddha didn't eat the straw. It's not that the person needs the meal. You're doing it in a very different way, much deeper way. And so this insight starts to become very clear in that second year that no matter how small the act, that act connects us. And that connection is priceless. This is very profound. Then you go to the third year. And so now you know, the kind acts are kind of cool, let's try them. You'll have some hits and some misses, but as you get the hits, you receive, you feel connected. Then in the third year, The junior year, you become much more tuned. You become much more skillful. See, the thing is, if if I've got an intention to give, and I know I'm receiving, I have a guitar, I want to sing a song, I could inflict my song onto you and say, hey, act of kindness, buddy, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Or I could get to know the person, I could remember this, I could learn about what their favorite song is, practice that, then deliver that favorite song to them, context-dependent, it becomes incredibly skillful. So cultivating that skillfulness is something you learn sort of in the next phase. I remember a fellow I met in India. Not a fellow, I mean, he's somebody I respect a lot. He's a grandfather. He's now in his 80s, him and his wife. Their whole life they lived on generosity. Like, they never charge for anything. They were, they were Gandhians, and they just served the world in extremely pure ways. Um, and they never monetized, and they would just love people. They didn't have anything. They were very poor, obviously. They, you know, they, they don't uh, care as, as much for accumulation, so they've just been giving, and their trust was in the connection. And so at some point, when they turned 73... I heard the story when it was in their 80s, but when they were 73, someone heard that these legends of social change have been giving their whole life. And this guy happened to have this old house that nobody was living in. and says, you guys live in this run-down, beat-up place. You have so many challenges. Your wife has so many issues. I'd like to give you my house. So these guys receive, and they are living in that house. First week in that house, have a neighbor. Apparently, the neighbor is running a catering business, and the neighbor was using because this was an empty lot. Neighbor was using all like this as a warehouse, right? And so they're now moved in, and the neighbors like brings all the stuff that he has to cater the next day, and he's storing it in the front porch. And this guy's like, no, "No, wait, this is our house now. You can't do this," you know. So they tell that guy, and they're like, "Do you know who you're saying no to?" And they're like. No, but this is our house, so it doesn't matter who you are. They're like, you should be afraid of, because apparently this guy was a really thuggish character, and everybody was afraid of him, and nobody would say no. And and these 73 year olds, you know, one of them in a wheelchair, they're like, we're very principled people. This is not the right thing. This is the boundary. You can't do that. So they kicked them out. And they said that this is non vegetarian food, and this is, you know, alcohol. We don't have alcohol. We don't have. We're vegetarian, so it doesn't, you know. So they pushed it out. Midnight that day, there's a rattle on the door. Who's Arun? Who's living here? You know, he says this this guy's name, Arun Dada. He says, who's living And this guy, is like the kind that sleeps very early and wakes up at 4 a.m. So midnight is like right smack in the middle of his sleep hour. He kind of wakes up, puts on his glasses. He goes out. He's like, someone's yelling my name. He's like, you called? He's like. Who do you think you are? I live next door. I run a catering business. I'm going to use this place. You got that? And this guy's like, he's just waking up, you know. He's like, "Well, good morning to you too," you know. And he says, uh, "No, sir, sorry. This is—we've uh, now moved in. You—you you, you know, this is no longer appropriate here." Very kindly, compassionately, this guy like smacks him one. Imagine doing this to a 73-year-old guy, and this guy's like full of love. I mean, if you you met him, you would know this guy. He just hits him one. His glasses fall off. This guy takes the glasses and chucks it in a nearby sort of pool of water that's streaming down. And this guy says, You say no to me, bad things are going to happen to you. You got that? And this guy's like... You can take my eyes out if you want, very calmly. This is Gandhi, and he's done this stuff. He says, look, it's, uh, I oppose this action, but you are a divine person, man. It's all good, dude. It's like, and he says, no, you know, you can take my eyes out if you want, brother, but this is not the right thing to do. And so he, that guy leaves in his rage. He leaves. Next day, his wife comes, and wife says, you know what? I'm so sorry. I can't believe, because culturally, too, it's like seriously offensive to hit a person and throw their glasses. And I mean, it's just the wrong thing to do at so many levels, right? So the wife kind of has this, her heart is burning, so she goes up and she's like, you know, I'm so sorry. Uh, can, I, can I just pay for another pair? And this guy says, uh, no, you know what? No, sister, it's okay, it's fine. You know, my prescription was getting a little... outdated anyway so I had to get a new pair so I'll get a new pair so he's trying to like you know make her feel good but in his heart he's saying that this guy who has given me so much trouble and he just has so much anger he says even he has that good I just need to find that good and amplify it so he is now scanning this guy would never he whenever they would cross paths after that midnight incident this guy would always look down, like he would always feel like the. Deli- and he says, "This is not right." See, a lot of us, we, yeah, yeah. He learned that. That's right, man. He should know how to respect that. You know, nobody hits a seventy-three-year-old, and that's why I've been a Gandhi and I was with Vinoba. I did the freedom movement. You know, all this. Like, yeah, I'm glad he's in his place. No, that's not what he's thinking. He's saying he should not feel. He should not look down. He should feel like I'm his brother. And so he says, "How can I make this guy my brother?" So he's looking. Now they have, in India you have these walls where, you know, if one person's on the phone, you're going to hear it. The next door, you know. And so this guy would always be on all these catering calls, and he's negotiating, and he's like a greedy type of good guy, and he's always like cussing. Every, every third word is like a curse word. And these guys, Gandhians, have, don't have any cussing in their vocabulary. And so they're going back and forth. And in one of the conversations with all these curse words, he hears this at the end. He says... Shri Krishna, which means an homage to Krishna, an homage to sort of oneness, the divine, right? however you frame it. And he's like, in all these curse words, he actually honored Krishna at the end. So then every time he sees him, he says, Shri Krishna. <laughs> and so this guy is like... Okay, yeah, I do say that, but I mean, you know, mostly I just say curse words, but this guy's picked up on this one thing. So they're going back and forth, back and so now it became their ritual that every time they would meet each other, he would say, Jeshi And this guy's like, All right, Jeshi Krishna, you know? And they would look back at each other and say, All right, I honor you, and he honors each other. And all of a sudden, they started to build this relationship. Many weeks pass, and... One fine day, this guy's like going past, and he doesn't say, "Jeshi Krishna." So this Arundhada is like, "Hey, what's wrong? Right? Maybe what well, is every so he goes up to him and he says, "Oh, you know what's wrong? You didn't say Jeshi Krishna today." He says, "Well, you know, you were reading, and I didn't want to disturb you." So now he's like got that sensitivity that this old man is reading, and I don't want to disturb him, even with my greeting. And so Arundhada says, Oh, no, no, don't worry, man. Your words are like nature's symphony. It's like the wind blows and the rivers flow and your words come in, you know? It's like a very big big part of who I am now. And so it's like, you know, just don't forget to say it. And they didn't. These guys, nine years, he had this practice. When I met him, he was in his 80s. Same neighbor, same guy doing this stuff. It took nine years he says that there are four kinds of people. He says, there's those who see the good. There are those who see the good and the bad. There are those who can, the third kind, who just focus on the good. And then he says the fourth kind are those who amplify the good. In the string of curse words, he said three words that were divine. He looked at that, he amplified it, and he created a whole relationship with this person based on that. That's skillfulness, that's taking a whole, that's like a much deeper form of giving. You could just say, I want to be kind to this, because this guy is very kind, I should be kind, I can can easily be kind to him. But this person is not very kind, and how do I find out? It's not that this person is not very kind, every person is kind. The thing is that person may be overcome by certain actions that are not kind. And so you say, underneath these actions, where's the kindness, and how do I amplify that? And that's the kind of skillfulness that you see in sages all across all traditions. Certainly Master Hua. There was, I mean, there are so many stories. Master Hua is the uh, founder of this lineage uh, of which this monastery is a part. And there are these amazing stories. There was one guy that came in, was sitting in an audience, and Master Hua just goes to him and he says, you should stop eating meat. And it's just a sentence. You know, I said it, nothing happened. you know. But when Master Hua said it, and he knew exactly the right moment to say it, he knew who to say it to, this person was very conflicted because his dad was a butcher. And he had so many conflicts, and he was just in the monastery, figuring, out, you know, trying to sort it all out. And here's the teacher saying, "You should stop eating meat." You know what that guy did? Became a monk. Decades later, he's still a monk. Skillful means. Right? This is not saying, "Oh, let me tell you the advantages of being a monastic, and you know, this is what you will get in ten years, and then at your fifteen-year anniversary, we'll give you this watch." No, No. <laughs> It's a deeper kind of skillfulness. And I think that cultivates in the third year. And in the last year is this idea of spontaneity and humility. One of my friends was in this, uh, these dialogues with the Dalai Lama. And um, there were 40 people in the late 90s who were very famous sort of dialogues with the Dalai Lama. The Dalai Lama had convened it So all these intellectual leaders, they went to convene with the Dalai Lama and engage in this science and spirituality dialogue. And so their process was they would sit and they would all convene and it's like whenever it's it's time to start, the Dalai Lama would be the last one to come. So everyone is seated there and the Dalai Lama comes and everyone bows to the Dalai Lama as is customary. And then the Dalai Lama bows back. And as he bows back, my friend who was among these 40 people, he says, I noticed a very curious thing. That the Dalai Lama would bow dif- to different heights every day. So he got a little curious. He's like, you know, there was, okay, Monday, and then Tuesday, you know. And, and, then, was, and then maybe just this again on, on Wednesday. He's like, what's going on? You know, so come Friday, he's like, he got it right as the Dalai Lama was coming in, he was scanning to see who was the lowest bow, and he would always bow lower than that person. What is that humility? What is that spontaneity? And when you are, as you get emptier, you are swept up by forces that are far stronger Than the egoic forces. And you become an instrument in so many deep, profound ways. Speaking of the Dalai Lama, one of my friends was hosting him in Oregon, and they had like 11,000 people of space, but 20,000 people showed up. And so they didn't know what to do, and all these people are outside, and what do you, you know. And there was one woman who was on a wheelchair. She would never met the Dalai Lama, but it was her dream to just see the Dalai Lama face. She didn't want to even, she was like, impossible for me to meet such a man, but I just want to see him, you know, and so she'd like come, but in this whole melee with so many people, she was just in the back. And so far in the back that she's like, man, I can't even, there's no way that I, I can even see from here, you know, and they hadn't made provisions for 20,000, so it was kind of a mess at from the back. And so she says, forget it. Yeah, maybe I won't get to see him. But you know what? I'm from this area and I know the side street and what I'm going to do is I'm just going to go listen to the audio from the, the side street because that was too far back to get any good reception. So she kind of goes back. Dalai Lama gives this talk and this whole event is over. And at that time, he was the head of state and so there's all these protocols and security and all that. And... Right as he finishes, he kind of walks down, and Dalai Lama, in his you know, typical jokester self, he's like, okay, I go this way, ha, ha, ha. because He's supposed to go the other way, right? He's supposed to go left, and he's just like, ha, ha, got you, you know, secret service, ha, ah, you know? And he's like, ha, 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 you know, these guys are going, like, oh, wait, code, you know, I don't know what their code red is, it's like, no, no, it's restructure everything, the Dalai Lama's just decide to go right, you know? And he just spontaneously decided to do that. And my friend was hosting, so he was like watching this whole thing. And he goes right, and sure enough, he goes to that side street where this woman was. And he bows down, and he holds her hand as she's in a wheelchair, and this woman just can't stop crying. Puts his forehead to her forehead, says, it's an honor. To meet you. But that wasn't a part of a strategy. How do you tap into that? You tap into that as you become empty. It's not just that you're generous. It's not just that you realize that generosity connects you. It's not just that generosity is skillful. It's also... This humility, this spontaneity. And then every moment, in some sense, starts to feel like that, starts to become like that. And that's extremely powerful. And so that's sort of the senior year, you know. And I don't think it's a linear sort of progression that once you go from freshman to sophomore, you know, you can have moments of that senior year, and I, I certainly have those moments of my junior year or senior year, and then I'll go back to my you know, freshman mindset. You know? So these are all mindsets, and I think they're constantly arising and passing. But if we're mindful of them, it takes on a very different... Uh, it, it, it has the opportunity to give us a very deep insight and to start to unravel a lot of, uh, a lot of knots within our own being, and that you actually feel grateful. When you help people, there's this famous quote, right? When you help people, you see life as weak on the receiving end. When you fix, you see life as broken. And the quote says, when you serve, you see life as a co-creative whole. But I actually think there's a fourth state, which is offering. Offering is, I may be giving, but I'm actually indebted to you. My mom in our own home has held these, my mom and dad, have held these awaken circles in Santa Clara for the last 18 years. Just open up the home, 65 people every week. They sit in silence. No teacher, no agenda, no teaching, just space for silence. And then in the second hour, there's a circle of sharing because we all learn from each other. Right? And then in the third hour, there's dinner in silence. And my mom has fed more than 40 to 50,000 people in that home. It's like the most amazing thing that I have had the privilege of witnessing. But the most amazing thing is that, or actually, I mean, that's that's incredible. But when you go up and thank my mom, as so many people do, when you go up and thank my dad, as so many people do, they will say, "No, thank you for the opportunity." And you know, some people will be like, "Okay, auntie, can we come tomorrow?" Then you know. <laughs> but actually. You see that. And I've seen that in my parents. I've seen, and this just happened, my dad was in a 30-day meditation retreat for the first time. He was doing a Vipassana retreat. And, I mean, it's incredible that my dad would even do such a thing. You know, it's like, wow. So when you give meditation space, I think the universe gives you meditation back, you know, and it's true for my dad. My mom was home one night, and all of a sudden, so this is the first time she stayed away from my dad, um, for so long, you know, and, and she's in this house and she's about to sleep and all of a sudden she hears this thump, thump, thump. And she's like, okay, are those gunshots? Or are those, well, we don't, I don't know, someone's throwing things? What's going on? Someone Clearly you feel under attack. So first thing she does, turns on all the lights. And just to let them know that look, somebody's inside, you know, just be mindful, I don't know, that was her reflex. Then she realized, and she started to think, just in that moment, she's like, you know, I've had thousands and thousands of people that are coming to this house. If something was going to happen, it would happen. When you've actually done that, it's no longer a theoretical idea. When you're a stranger and I've fed you, and you're a stranger and I've said thank you for the opportunity, when I've expanded my heart out every single week for 18 years, it starts to create a found inner transformation and in that moment that inner transformation you don't really know how deep that inner transformation is but in such a moment it is tested and for my mom it was tested so she turned the lights on then she says well there's this wall between me and the other but really that wall is just in my mind i don't have that wall on a wednesday so she open unlocks the door and goes out I mean, I can't tell you how incredibly out of nature that is for my mom. To, conf- I mean, she's hearing these sounds at our window, and she's now saying, bring it on. She goes out, and she sees these little kids. They're actually throwing oranges. They're pelting our windows with oranges. And my mom's like, okay. And my mom's response so powerful when I heard the story. She says, Oh, I could use those oranges. Can I have them? She's not even saying that they're wrong in throwing the oranges. She's saying, Oh, wait, wait, I've got a better use. That's great that you guys are having fun here. But, you know, we can feed people with that. You know, it's... A... And she befriend And these kids, of course, ran away, you know. But that transformation, right? That deep transformation... It's not going to come because you hear a story. It's going to come because you do 18 years of practice. Right? And that, and this practice is going to have so many different states. We'll have the freshman state, and we'll have the sophomore state, we'll have you know, the skillfulness state, we'll have the humility phase, and then we'll have those which are not quite like that. Right? But it can lead to something very profound and deep. So I'm going to end with a poem And and I think we have a few minutes to do Q&A. So this is a... I'm not checking my email, guys. (laughs) I met a guy recently. A 96-year-old Sufi master. Um, Incredible human being. First time I met him, it was in a large audience. His name is Dada Vaswani. And there were a lot of people. It was at his center. And I was just, you know, I I was just one of the people there. And I had to say something around youth and, you know, something like that. And so I was one of the speakers sitting near the front. He calls me over and he says, come, sit here. And this 96-year-old man, like, he couldn't even get up. He couldn't even lift himself. And he needed two people to lift up. But he got up to, like, just out of respect. He's like, Oh, no, just to like use it first. And I was like, you know, I'm just an everyday guy, and here's this big saint. And I, said, and I realized he just sees everybody in that way. Like, he just thinks everyone is amazing. Like, I was thinking this guy's a saint, and the rest of us are, you know, in his mind, he's not thinking like that. He's saying, how divine. Thank you. Come, sit next to me, and I'm honored. Right? It's that space of offering. So I met him again, second time, out of serendipity. And we have this incredible dialogue. And at some point, now this guy, at that time now, he's 97. He's looking, me straight in the eye. He's not even blinking. He's so humbled. You know, sometimes you meet people, and they're big, and they're strong, and you feel like, I want to be strong like that. (laughs) With this guy, I met him, I saw him, I felt him, and I was like, I want him to be small like that. Like I felt so empowered by wanting to be small, by wanting to be nothing. Just that was his, his presence. And at some point, I was moved, and I was like, Dada, how can I be of, of service? And he looks me in the eye, and he cups his hands like a begging bowl, and he says, I seek your tears of compassion. I've never had somebody, I've never had such an interaction in my life, and especially in that moment the way it was. And I asked him, it, we were silent for a while, and at some point I asked him about this idea of the pinnacle of compassion, the bodhisattvas. I said, I knew he was friends with the Dalai Lama, and so I said, you know, you've heard that there's this thing of bodhisattvas, that they forsake their own liberation for the sake of others. He said, what do you think about that? Because everything around him, about him, had this intensely beautiful vibe. And so he looks me in this kind of a setting, it was a 45-minute interaction, that just made me so empowered by being small. And even though I was small, I was like, man, I need to be far smaller. I need to be far more nothing. It's like the total, you know, you can watch like an inspirational thing, and you're like, yeah, I can be like, this was the exact opposite, and I was feeling elated. And I'm like, man, and this guy's asking me for tears of, who asked for tears of compassion? Like, I've never met such a person, you know? And... In this, we would have these moments, and I don't even know how to respond. I'm like in a whole different state. And he recites this poem when we talk about bodhisattvas. He says, Have you heard of this poem by Shantideva, 14th century? And he's like, Eyes are locked. And he says these words. He knew them by heart. He says, May I be a guard? For those who need protection, a guide for those on the path, a boat, a raft, a bridge for those who wish to cross the flood. May I be a lamp in the darkness, a resting place for the weary, a healing medicine for all who are sick, a vase of plenty, a tree of miracles. And for the boundless multitude of living beings, for the boundless multitude of living beings, may I bring sustenance and awakening, enduring like the earth and the sky until all beings are freed from sorrow and all are awakened. I was literally speechless in that moment. And I am a little bit now too, you know. It would be a little awkward if I went speechless on you guys. But What a feeling. Not just to be kind to this person, not just to be kind to that troubling person, but I will wait in the back of the room until all beings, until all life goes out and walks through that door of awakening how big would that heart be just thinking of that moves me I think it moves all of us and the gateway to that is that small act of kindness there's nothing big you talk to these people and they will all say all these saints they will say you know Chop wood, do laundry. Is that something like that? Even after awakening, it's chop wood, do laundry. It's like you do small acts with great love. There's no big secret. You can write 20,000 books on it, but really it comes down to this thing. Can you approach each moment with that kind of love? With that kind of potential for inner transformation, not just in you, but the other person. So, we have... 10 minutes but it feels like we could do Q&A or we could do an extended dedication of merit I just feel like it's such a we're here you know that words although I'm speaking incessantly but words <laughs> <laughs> might wait is there an organizer that can tell me Shall we do a dedication of merit? Yeah? Uh, instead of Q&A? Um, I love this practice of dedication of merit. Um, idea is, I actually learned it from Reverend Hangsher, who is the abbot of this monastery. Do you guys know about Reverend Hangsher? Everyone knows? He did this three steps, one bow pilgrimage in the late 70s. Reverend Hangsher is an incredible human being. Of course, if you ask him, he says, oh, I'm just like, you know, one of many instruments of Master Hua. But it, he, for every three steps, they took one bow to the ground for 900 miles across, highway, across the California coastline, Highway 1 being one amongst them. And every three steps, they said, all, all different states, all different beings that come our way, no matter what left turns and right turns they have taken, I am going to bow to them with compassion. And so their practice was three steps, one bow, three steps, one bow. Three times they were at gunpoint. People would spit on their face. People would pour orange juice and they said, May you be blessed. All the left turns and right turns from your lineage that have brought you to this action of anger, of hatred, of division, I'm going to rebound it back with just compassion. And that was their commitment. It was just an incredible thing. Then he gets, arrives after two years and nine months. He arrives at the city of 10,000 Buddhas. And when he arrives there, what is his response? It's not like, yeah, I've done this 900 miles, man. Not too many monks can handle this. And they're, they have very intense vows. Like if I told you, you would be like, oh my God, these guys are superhuman. You know what his response was? It's, I haven't even learned how to bow. I don't know how to bow. So much ego, so much mental noise, I don't know how to bow. So he said, I'm going to do three more years around this monastery. And he was silent for those two years and nine months and he was silent for those three years. And we are in that field. We have received from that field, this monastery, the monks here, we have received from that. We have received from each other. We've received from the organizing work of so many heroes behind the scenes. We've received from James and the kind of values he has upheld for a long time. And it's not just a one-to-one. You know, It's many-to-many. It's, you can't say, I gave this. Who knows, in this moment, maybe you are giving me a lot more than I am giving. Or maybe you're giving to the person next to you. You just, you can't, this is not like an Excel spreadsheet that we can figure out, you know. This is, this is just life in its many to many majesty. And all we can do is do that bow and say, like the bodhisattvas would say, that I don't, if there is benefit that has been accrued, I don't even want the benefit. Pay it forward. Right? Let the ripple go out. So maybe we do two minutes in the spirit of that gratitude that if there has been goodness that is generated, may it ripple out beyond the four walls of this monastery, beyond all known in our minds, into the places that it needs to go to. So I don't have music, I don't sing, but I'll ring the bell in a couple minutes. Thank you all for being here. you'd like to stay connected. Well, the first thing is we should do acts of kindness. Um, There are smile cards in the back if you need that excuse. Um, And uh, there's also uh, a a sign-up list for, I don't know, caring. There's certainly a service-based sign-up list if you'd like to stay connected. Um, I can connect you and if there's a bunch of you that are signed up. We could even attempt to do a 21 day kindness challenge or something of that sort together. Um, and yeah, let's, let's all spread love together. You know, really the, that's, that's all there is to it. The rest of this is temporary. So <laughs> I wish we could do a group hug, but thank you all. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for listening.